guys, Alexa Curtis here, and you're listening to This Is Life Unfiltered, my weekly podcast on entrepreneurship, being fearless, and getting out of your comfort zone. So if you're not following the podcast on social media, make sure you head to at T-I-L-U podcast, and also you can follow my personal social media at at Alexa underscore Curtis. So a few weeks ago, I was at a conference in downtown LA, and I was on, I was sitting front row at a panel that happened to be with the founder of Cloud10, which is this podcasting creation network that was founded recently, I think. And there was a panel with Busy Phillips, who is an actress, and then Casey St. Ange. And I loved this panel, and I thought that it was so cool because I rarely am around two incredibly authentic women. Usually I feel like I'm around someone who's authentic and then someone who's like talking and you're just kind of like, what are you talking about? Both of these women were just captivating. Uh, So I asked her to come to the studio today and be a guest. And I didn't realize up until about an hour ago that she is from Connecticut. So thank you so much for being here with me. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Well, usually I would take the people who are listening kind of through the beginning of the story and college and all of that. But your journey really started at a cool time. And I want to start your story in this conversation off when you got this internship with David Letterman. Sure. And I read something online that said that when you went to the interview, he said something like, you just kind of seem all over the place and I don't know what you're doing, but I really just want to help you out. Yeah. I mean, well, what had happened was I um, I was just, we were just talking a little bit and I was saying that uh, my college, Fitchburg State College in my hometown, the college where my parents met, um, the college where I also met my husband, the college where my mom also attended, uh, went back to get her her master's degree when I was getting my undergrad. So I, I really did go to college with my mom, like um, that Melissa McCarthy movie. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so when uh, I was attending, I was a film and television major. And one of the final requirements for graduation, your last semester, you had to do an internship. And the school was really helpful at uh, getting people internships in Massachusetts at like various, like I remember a lighting warehouse, like a professional lighting warehouse being very popular. And I remember um, my dean sort of saying, like, are you interested in that? And I was like, no, that's not really what I want to do. I'm going to really go for it and apply for internships in Los Angeles, in New York City. New York City was a little bit more feasible, I think, because it was on the East Coast. And um, my boyfriend uh, was already out in New York working for Comedy Central. So I applied at all these places in New York and I wound up getting an interview at late night, um, which was David Letterman's late night show on NBC. And I went and I really had a vision of being the writer's intern. Like maybe I'll get selected to be the writer's intern. And so I went and I met with all the writers and I just talked with all these guys all day. And then finally the internship director came around, the woman that had called me in for the interview. And she was like, I've been looking for you all day. And I was like, oh, I was like met with every single writer. And she was like, they already chose their intern like a month ago. <laughs> and I was like, well, what? why? And she was like, they just love to talk to girls. Yeah. Like they just basically wasted your whole day. And I was like, OK, cool, cool, cool. So she was like, well, there's one more place that's still looking for an intern. So let me bring you by. And she brought me into Dave's office and I met his executive assistant and he came out and said hello, which really shocked me because I just wasn't expecting to see him um, and, you know, said hello and was nice to nice to meet you. And then he just asked me in that 
in that moment, like, well, can you drive a stick shift? And I said, no, sir, I cannot drive a, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. And he was like, well, that's kind of like the only thing that my intern really (laughs) needs to know how to do. And I was like, okay, well, cool. It was nice to meet you. So I sort of left there feeling like, well, that's it. Like I'm not getting, I'm not getting this internship because I wasted my whole day talking to people that didn't need an intern. And then I couldn't do the one thing that, and then I wound up getting a call from the show saying, well, Dave uh, picked you to be an intern in his office uh, so here's when you start and I was just I was shocked and um, when I went to New York and started working it took me a little a little while to get up the courage to finally be like hey let me ask you something why did you pick me to be your intern when I cannot do the one thing and he was like oh okay uh, here's okay here's why and he was like I liked your shoes the day that you came in I thought they were like cool bold shoes he was like and then I saw your resume on a pile and saw where you went to school and it was a state school I also went to a state school mm-hmm. Anyone who went to a state school needs a little more help than someone that went to a fancy school. And then I read your name and I was like, what a weird name. She's going to need even more help. And then he was like, and then I just remembered thinking like, oh, she's a smart person. She'll figure out the driving thing. Like if she never learns how to drive a stick shift, she'll figure out a way around it. So that's why I picked you. I love that. So your actual title now, fast forward, is showrunner and you're the executive producer on uh, Busy Tonight. Yes. Which was on E. Yes. So I want to talk more about that. But I first, sure. before we get into it, what is a showrunner for someone who doesn't know? Sure. Okay. So, um, you know, what a lot of people don't know about TV shows, or I guess they do know, but it's... Um, I don't know. It's an interesting thing is there's all different types of TV shows. So, you know, your scripted dramas and your half hour comedies. And then you have your late night unscripted shows, which aren't necessarily not written, but they're not word for word. Like They're not nobody's performing drama or nobody's performing like a, a teleplay. So um, so a showrunner on a late night show is just kind of like, um the den mom. I like to think of like, that's just the person that gets in there and, you know, in my case, like developed the show with Busy and with Tina Fey. We were all executive producers um, along with Tina's partner, Eric Gurian. Um, We were all executive producers of the show. So we just really developed it. And it was really like, you know, obviously Tina has like 50 jobs. So it was really Busy and I just saying like, here's what we want this show to be. And here's what we think people need to see on television. Here's what we think we would want to see on television. Here's what's been missing for us. So we developed the show and then, you know, you have to like obviously get network approval for every single thing that every single decision that you're making. And then, but hopefully they give you a green light and then you get to the stage where you're like hiring the staff and you decide like, what the staff is going to be and you interview all these hopefuls that are you know wanting to come and work on your show and that feels so awesome you know to have people wanting to come and work with you and um, a huge part of it for me was also thinking a lot about the culture of the show that we wanted to have because I don't know I don't think that that that's a thing that maybe every single showrunner thinks about but because of like my own experiences and because of like you know well being a woman and trying to do this it was something that was really important to me so I wanted to think really hard about like what type of culture we were building behind the scenes because I'm really 
a big believer that that translates into like what you're putting yeah. out on on TV. So um, yeah, so and then it's just like yeah, it's just a, a lot of traffic cop. You know, it's a lot of creative decisions, sure. budget decisions, and so you do everything. yeah, you kind do of, everything. kind yeah. of. It's just like it's. I was so lucky at that show because you really, I just really felt like I could trust everyone mm-hmm. to do their job so well. So I just could like do my thing and make sure everything, you know, happily say yes to so many things sure. and only say no, you know. If you have to say no to something, like pitch in and help think yeah. of like how you can recreate it so that it's something new and something that works for the show. So yeah, just that. When you initially got that first internship with David Letterman, then you went on to Rosie O'Donnell. Was your end goal to be like an executive producer or showrunner? Or were you kind of just winging it? You know, that is a good question. I think my only real goal in life, and I think this was like a goal that I had since I was a little kid... And like a huge fan of the Muppet show and like reruns of the Dick Van Dyke show, I wanted to be a writer. And like so many things, I wanted to be a comedy writer. I wanted to be a late night writer. Um, Rosie wasn't late night. It was daytime. But I think like it was the closest thing to late night that we had seen on daytime at that point. Um so I only knew that I wanted to be a writer and um, never really planned beyond that. And I don't know if you're like, do you like set goals in your life and you won't let your you're like, I'm going to. I'm going to wait to do this thing until I, like, achieve X goal. I love when a podcast guest asks me the question <laughs> and I'm not prepared. Uh, no, I don't. I okay. don't do that kind of so, stuff. So, like, I was living with my boyfriend and, you know, and he was living and, and working in New York City also in entertainment. And we had been together forever and we were just like, okay, it's getting to the point where we're, like, thinking about getting married. I guess we were probably engaged at that point. Um, and then I was really like, listen, there's certain things that I want to do, like, for myself before we get married. And one of those is that I want to be a staff writer on a show. And he was like, that's cool. And then I was like, and then that would enable us to put away enough money to, like, throw the kind of wedding that we want because our parents weren't in the position to be able to do that. And I don't think we would have felt great about asking them. So, um... So, yeah, so he was like, okay, I can get with that. And I can't remember if he really had a goal. <laughs> Is that terrible? I don't think he did. I think he was just sort of like, we we're just, you know, because he's great. Yeah. He was like, yeah, let's like work on your goal or whatever. And then that happened when I was like 24. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that was kind of weird because it kind of set me up to be so nervous that it was going to be taken away from me, you know, um, or that I was going to blow it and, you know, never be able to do it again or whatever um that wasn't the case rosie was the best possible person to work for like as a fledgling writer um jeanette barber our head writer was the best most nurturing person possible um i was so lucky because who knows what would have happened if i had been a writer on any other show i don't know what would have happened it might have eaten me alive but because i was where i was um i I was allowed to like learn and and grow wings there. So, but beyond that, I didn't really have a plan. Like I just assumed that I would kind of be like a staff writer for the rest of my life. Um, 
And then just over time, like various, you know, working on various things, I started producing a little just out of necessity sometimes just because like you just need to. Yeah. And once you hit a certain age, people are like, here's the budget, by the way, like take a look at it, yeah. you know. So people start tasking you with more serious stuff and you know, and then I started to like it and sure. just be like, oh, actually, you know what? When you can be super creative with a budget, that is also rewarding. Mm-hmm. When you can be super creative with how to schedule something and get everything that you were dreaming of to work out, that's also rewarding. So it's not the same as writing a joke that everybody laughs and laughs at, but it's kind of amazing. Too. I love the fact that you are from a small town, that you didn't grow up with you know what a lot of people in say somewhere like LA to to break into entertainment did it doesn't seem like you had many connections no zero (laughs) it's it's amazing because I'm the same that it to kind of show people that you can do it and you were living proof of that yeah uh, so growing up, what did your parents do? And, and in high school and middle school, what kind of kid were you in which group? <laughs> um, okay, what did my parents do? My dad was always like a manual laborer. Like he worked in a um, an automobile rebuilding factory, like refurbishing auto parts. Um, he was an ambulance driver for some time, <laughs> which was, he wasn't, <laughs> I think he caused more, <laughs> more, <laughs> injuries <laughs> then then uh he treated yeah. um maybe god um and yeah and he worked um off and on in like in retail like in yeah. working in the stock room at Woolworths when I was in high school mm-hmm. my mom was a school teacher in Massachusetts she was a biology teacher when I was a kid and um Massachusetts went through this really um restrictive budgetary crisis in the 80s proposition two and a half which just like basically devastated the educational system and she lost her job as a teacher even though she was really beloved you know teacher in the high school um and so she just got a job in like a social working office Mm -hmm. like it was uh some kind of facet of social work and from there she just really like refocused her career on counseling and getting her master's in social work and so she worked as a social worker until she retired. So literally opposite of anything relating to entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my dad was always a huge pop culture fan, um, a huge music fan and a huge comedy fan. So he got a big kick out of what I did. But yeah, my my I don't know. My mom has shows that she likes, but <laughs> but not in that. Do you think that plays a role in in a child, or I guess growing up, if your parents? Because I find a lot of people who are incredibly successful in entertainment, their parents did nothing that was similar to what they do. Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, it's interesting. I was just talking to Busy about this, about like our generation and how we were really like kind of the first generation of latchkey kids. I'm a little bit older than busy, but um but you know, the television was our babysitter a lot. So, um you know, which in retrospect like is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of great. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda talks about this, too. He talks about benign neglect and how that really fed his imagination. And so while I'm sure that, like, 
having two parents working and having kids kind of like fend for themselves at home or even like even if your parents were home a lot of times like my mom would be like grading papers often you know and I was sort of left to my own devices and while I'm sure a lot of parents felt guilty or maybe they didn't maybe that's like a maybe that's a more modern thing that like parental guilt thing um while I'm sure that a lot of people probably wished it was different also like it's it was kind of great to sort of just like be able to mind my own business and think what I wanted to think and draw what I wanted to draw and have like a weird imagination and be a weird kid and you know so yeah so for better for worse I spent hours in front of the television television, observing like what would eventually become my career and then as for me in high school I was like I was in the band but also a cheerleader and I was in drama club and I was you know also like tried to run for student council every time with like medium success. Did you have straight A's or were you like a C or like B's? I was a pretty good student when I was younger and then as I got older I think that you know well obviously started like dating and hanging out more I wouldn't say like (laughs) I didn't like ever get in with a bad crowd or anything like that but I think at some point I just realized that like I'm a perfectionist and I was really making myself like insane trying to be perfect and I was kind of like for what for what though (laughs) like I I think it became pretty clear to me that I was gonna go to college in my hometown because that's what I could afford or I was gonna go to like a modest college that I wasn't gonna be like splashing out on some Ivy League school or whatever because that just wasn't financially in the cards for us and so when I put it together that I could attend a modest college in my hometown and that that's probably where I was bound for and that I could do that whether I was a B student or an A plus student, then I think I like chilled a little bit and let myself. Yeah. Kind of relax a little more. Yeah. Did you feel like growing up, you mentioned in the town and that, you know, staying there and you would go there. Most people would go to college in their hometown and then never leave. Yeah. You broke out of that. How did you do that? I just really wanted to get out of there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love my hometown. Um, There are many great things about it, and I'm still friendly with a lot of people from back there. And a lot of people from back then went on to do, like, really amazing, impressive things. So I think, um, yeah, I just wanted to, again, like, I think I just had an epiphany that, like, New York City is not far from Massachusetts. It's just not. It's a few hours drive, you know? And so, and the fact that I'd never been there in my whole life seemed insane. I'd barely ever been to Boston. And then, so when I got my driver's license and was independent, like, I would drive myself to Boston to buy, like, a pair of shoes or something, like, at a cool store and with money that I had earned at my drugstore job. And so, yeah, so I just sort of was like, you know, like New York is like a stone's throw further than Boston, really. And so that's where everything's happening. Like, I owe it to myself to at least try this. Yeah, it kind of resonates with me because everyone I went to high school is still in that same hometown, which yeah. is, I think five people left, which is not a bad thing. I'm just fascinated by you. You'd be so surprised. I mean, in Westport, Connecticut, I remember like the time when my kids were little and we all the moms would bring the kids to the bus stop. And so we had a bus stop at the end of our street 
And I remember being like, oh, I really wish the bus would hurry up because I have to like catch the train into the city to get to work. And I remember one of the moms saying like, oh, it so impresses me that you go to New York City every day. I've always dreamed of going there. And I was like, we live a 40 minute train ride from New York City. Why have you never gone? She was just like she just acted like it was another planet. And, you know, it just wasn't a thing for her. And I was like, I'm going to bring you to New York City and we're going to go see the Rockettes or whatever. It's literally right there. Like, but I think it's just a mindset for some people are like drawn to it and some people are, I don't know, repelled by it. I don't know if repelled is the right word, but just like fearful. I think also a lot of people are honestly more fearful of change or feeling out of their element. Yeah. Or loving it and not being able to live it or whatever. I don't, I remember like having like my favorite aunt and her husband came to visit a few times like they came for my wedding and I think they came another time and we just dragged them all around town and like I think they like the look on their faces the smiles on their faces were telling me that they were having the time of their life but they also took every opportunity to be like we could never live here and I was just like okay no one's making you 100% yeah my mom does the same thing anytime we go to any city she says the same thing and she lives I would think people in Westport would be much more prone to going to the city compared to Mansfield stores. But I guess West, I don't know. if I lived in Westport, I would be there every hour. Who knows? Why yeah. Not? I mean, listen, I love the, having the best of both worlds. I love having a Bed Bath & Beyond yeah. with a parking lot. And I love like being able to go into the city, sure. do whatever. And, you know, same with L.A. Like, you know, um, the there's very metropolitan parts of LA and then there's parts where you can like mm-hmm. park on the street and not worry about it. So at what point did you decide to move to LA? Cause it's completely different than the East coast, but you got the opportunity. Yeah, I was, I was working at this show called watch what happens live on Bravo with Andy Cohen for nine years. I was there. Um, what was your position there? I was co-executive producer of that, sh- of that show. And, um, And yeah, and I felt I loved that show and I really felt like I contributed a lot to the voice of that show. Um, But also nine years on any show is a really long time. And and it was also like a kind of a grueling schedule. You don't really like that's one thing people ask me a lot about Andy and like what he's like. And I'm like, that guy has the energy of I can't even describe it because it was a grueling schedule. It was grueling for everyone. That show really was live at 11 p.m. And we were working all day on it prior to, you know, so it just was like, it was a long time and a lot of years where I didn't see my kids as much as I wanted to. And I was tired when I did see them. But it was also like a really great job. And I have really great kids who are like, they just are great. <laughs> they're they're always the ones that are like, you know, what you do is what makes you the yeah. mom that we love. So please don't worry about like not having a sandwich with us. Yeah. Like go do your interesting thing that you do. And um, I've always been the kind of person that like is like, oh, by the way, my kids are coming here. <laughs> like sure. when I'm working at a place. So like I don't even I don't I never even really ask if that's cool with people. So hope it's cool with yeah. people. <laughs> but yeah, my kids have always just been like a part and a fixture of anything that I've worked on. And I've just kind of like expected it to be allowed. Well, even though you work for other people, there's a part of you that has an entrepreneur, I think, to what you've done and yeah. the jobs you've had. Sure. And that 
create and require such a strong yeah. balance. Yeah. So when when um, Busy called me and Busy and I have been friends, like we're friends through a mutual friend, Paul F. Tompkins. He's one of my dearest friends, my most beloved um most beloved people in my life and he's the funniest comedian that's ever lived possibly so if you're not familiar you should check him out but he and I worked together on this show best week ever and he's one of the reasons why I know everyone I know sometimes when I like to tell him I'm sure he's so bored by this but um I like to tell him that sometimes when I'm having a like an off day or in a day where I don't feel great or um, I will like to go back through my text messages and see like who's the last 10 people that have texted me and just be like you know take a moment to like appreciate like these are the people that are in my life but a further layer of that that I like to do is to then look at those 10 people and see how many of them I know because of Paul F. Tompkins and usually it's eight minimum but often all ten are like someone that I'm friends with because of him so anyway he's how I know busy and we were like social media friends for years and she was a frequent guest on watch what happens live so we'd always hang out when she came around and that show filmed in New York yeah so that was in New York and it was always a treat to see her because um because she was coming from LA so I would love to see her and then one day I just got this call from her and she was like she had done this pilot with Tina Fey and everybody thought that not only was it gonna be picked up that it was gonna be like a huge hit like everyone that's ever seen this pilot thought it was the best thing they've ever seen and like for some weird reason like sometimes happens in television weird like political whatever it fell through the cracks and it didn't get picked up and busy was just kind of like this is like a last straw for me because my I had such high hopes and I'm just you know I like acting but it's just not all there is and I just you know I want to try something else I want to get off this treadmill this hamster wheel of trying to act all the time And so Tina was like, well, I still want to work with you. Um, And she was like, okay, you know, let's stay in touch or whatever. And then so they did stay in touch. And Tina was like, you know, I think talk to her about some other acting projects. And she was like, I'm not really, it's not really for me. Um, And then finally, I guess she just had this epiphany where she was like, I think I would host a talk show. I think I would want to host a late night talk show. And then it all kind of happened really fast from there. Like Tina had a deal with NBC Universal. She had a meeting with, you know, some of the heads of NBC Universal. E was looking for a late night talk show. And that's it, you know. And so that's where I got a call from Busy saying, like, I got this talk show do you want to move to LA and be my showrunner? And I was like, no. You said no? (laughs) Well, I just was like, here's what I was like. I was like, I have a really secure job that I've been at a long time. And that is like, you know, it's a well-oiled machine here. And, you know, even though in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is really, you know, this is me. I'm always like, I'm pragmatic to a fault um which is a you know for better for worse but I also want to be in on everything new and exciting so I was like here's what I want to do I want to come and talk to you and tell you every single thing I know about making a talk show I'll talk to Tina because I don't think Tina hasn't like made a talk show herself um even though SNL is you know 
um, probably get, gave her <laughs> a pretty good idea of what she was in for. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I'll come and talk to you. I'll come and talk to Tina. I'll make a list of a thousand people I recommend who are super qualified for to do this. And so I met with Busy and she was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then she was like, just meet with Tina. And I was like, okay. So I was like meeting with Eric, Tina's partner. And then he was like, I just want you to talk to Tina. And so I talked to Tina and I was like, here are the top 15 women I would recommend if you're looking for like a woman showrunner. Here's who I'd recommend. Here's who I'd recommend for writers, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, thank you so much for this. This is so helpful. What would really be helpful to me is if you would just say that you will do it (laughs) because that seems like what everyone wants. And that feels good, you know, to to have people that you really admire and respect and love their work um, say, like, you're the one that we actually want. So I was like, let me talk to my family about it. This seems like a wild idea. And so I went home and talked to my family about it. And, like, truthfully, my younger son, he was going into his junior year of high school. He's the one that really could have put the kibosh on it because if he had looked me in the eye and said, I would really rather not transfer in the middle of high school and move across the country, then that would have been it. That would have been the end of the discussion yeah. because, you know, I'm team my kids before all else. And so my husband was like, I'm on board with it. And my older son was like, I'm out of the house sort of. So, you know, like, I mean, I'll miss you, but I don't really, I probably don't even really have much of this. He's still at school in Yeah, he's still in Connecticut. Yeah. And then my younger son was like, just like, you know, let's do it. Like, I'd be willing to do it. And I was like, you would. And he was just like, yeah, I mean, you know, like, you've been there and supported everybody else's like big things that they've wanted to do and tried to do you know dad went to grad school and you know you're you're making plans to put us through school and like where's your grad school you know he he was just like yeah and he was like I mean if I'm being completely honest like do I wish it was happening in two more years maybe but we don't get to pick that it's happening now so let's do it yeah so um yeah so we did it and and uh came out and just did that did that thing. So the first pilot that you mentioned that was that was different than the talk show. What was that? That was a drama. Okay. It wasn't a drama. I'm sorry. It was a sitcom uh, called The Second Sisters with Casey Rose Wilson and so it was like a, a half hour situation comedy that yeah, that Busy and Casey Wilson were playing sisters yeah. and and everybody loved it. <laughs> and then what happened? Well, that's why I really wanted to have you on is there's so much confusion behind what happens in Hollywood and yeah. people just think I think and they would think oh she had this talk show and you were on it and like that's you just wake up and then it, and then it was it was canceled like yeah the talk show and that is a whole other thing yeah people that's a whole think this stuff happens in Hollywood so why my first question is why in you know in theory would there be two really big names on a show say Tina Fey and Busy Phillips and it was an awesome pilot and it didn't get picked up yeah that's I mean I wasn't involved with the second sisters at all and just from what I hear it was just like one of those fluky things where like when it comes down to it like deciding whether or not to go forward with a show is like a human decision and you know how humans are unpredictable and I don't know who ultimately made that decision like this network's not going to make this show um but yeah, it just, you know, that's just what it was. Somebody was like, we're not going to make this show. And it 
from what I understand, like everyone that was involved with it and everyone that ever saw it was just like that is wild. Yeah. Like that's like it's nearly unbelievable. So I don't know. I mean, I I'm always dying and trying to see the pilot of it because I just want to see it myself. Like it's legendarily good, you know, (laughs) according to everyone. But um, but yeah, so that is just what happened. It just came down to like and I don't know what the you know, that's the thing you can never know. And that's the thing in show business, too. It could have been like shoot this will be too expensive in the end or like it could be like we already have a show with two women leads and so we don't want another show with two women leads or it could just be somebody who's like my tummy feels bad because of my caesar salad and no yeah you know you just don't know and i love that you say that because i had this show last year that was on disney and it wasn't renewed but i also only signed with them for one year um so i've taken it out to a lot of other places and every time i always say to my manager, I want to go into meetings when they're, you know, when someone will say, oh, it's going to be me and one other person. Yeah. And then when there's only one person in there, I always walk out and I'm like, fuck, because I like when there's two, because you're so right. Like that person might just not like me or like yeah. not like my top. And it's so easy yeah. for the people on the other side to be like, no, for no reason besides sure. they're, they don't like your top or they just don't like what you're wearing. You sure. know, something as yeah. small as that. Yeah. You just, you never know, you know, you never know what, I mean, we still like, we're still not sure what happened with Busy Tonight yeah. either. You know, um, we know what we were told, but we also know what we were told prior to what we were told. You know, so it's just like a lot of it doesn't fit. And then I've, you know, then a lot of other people have said things that made me be like, oh, well, OK. You know, just a, a lot of people were surprised, mm-hmm. including not just on our team, but people outside of our team that. A lot of people expressed surprise yeah, that that's that that's what happened. And and we were surprised, too. But also, you know, you just that it happens. It happens. Mm-hmm. It happens. To, you know, it happens to the best of us. And so I think, you know, we just had to, like, figure out what we wanted to do. And that was clarifying for us, I feel like. Over the years before you you got the show with busy were there times where you had ideas and you brought them to people and people just like were like no or did you always find yourself working for another show first yeah i mean for the most part my career has been working for bigger bigger shows um and i have most certainly like pitched things over time i've done every type of writing i've written a young adult novel and like goofy little humor books and children's joke books and i think this kids joke book that my friend alan and i wrote together i don't even know when it was a really long time ago but i think that's truly the most successful thing that i've ever done in my whole career because it was like one of those books for the scholastic book fair and those things just sell like wildfire a joke book will always be bought by an Mm eight-year-old um so yeah so there were times when i definitely and it's so funny because like i love to you know especially on twitter people people who work in the industry are like, okay, what's the worst pitch that you ever had? And like, you start to read people's stories. And I'm thinking like, when I was really young, when I was in my 20s, I met with executives basically pitching like a reality show where the contestants were rewarded with plastic surgery. And I thought it would be so funny. And these people were like, that's gross. You're gross. Get out. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I was like, I mean, like, they seemed straight up offended 
And but then a couple years later, there was a show called The Swan, which was basically that premise. And so, you know, um, I pitched a really similar show to Nicole Byers Nailed It, Um, you know, just when Cake Rex was like a popular was a popular web phenomenon. I pitched a a show that was like, you know, sort of (laughs) based on doing Cakes Badly, hosted by a comedian, blah, 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 and uh, pitched it to a friend who was like an executive at a production company. And she was like, here's why this won't work, blah, blah, blah. And I've emailed her every single article about nailed it and Nicole Byer that has ever happened since she started and she's like okay I get it I get it I'm sorry how did you deal with the rejection well I mean I think that I don't really see it as rejection to be honest it's just like these people you know everybody has a slate everybody has a bulletin board that they're looking to fill up with certain things and they're you know and every company has a culture of how they're gonna fill up that bulletin board and every company has an amount of money that they're willing to spend to fill up that bulletin board and so if somebody's saying no to a show that you're bringing to them it's not necessarily that it's like a bad idea it's that it doesn't fit on that bulletin board you know and um and yeah, sometimes the way that they run their bulletin boards are dumb, you know, and and sometimes I think executives make decisions because they're fearful more than they're joyful, you know. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the reason why we have a lot of television that's not necessarily good or joyful um, is because like the people making it are cynical and whether that's like, you know, an executive like shrewdly exerting their cynical point of view on something that was once good, I don't know. Or I don't know how exactly that happens. I'm sure it happens in a lot of ways. But I think like, you know, people watch television for like maybe one of three reasons. And one is to like, you know, zone out and sort of feel like, you know, not feel emptiness, Mm -hmm. you know, and sort of feel companionship. I think sometimes people like to watch television to be exhilarated because their lives are not necessarily exhilarating day to day. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we get like our thrillers and our dramas and, you know, or or people watch television to feel emotional, um, which is why This Is Us is like, Uh, just a home run because like if you want to cry you know you're gonna cry like they promise it to you and then I think people watch tv to feel joyful and so if you're not like if you I don't know if you're not having like a conversation about how you're trying to elicit that response and that feeling in people I think that I don't know I think it's bullshit you remind me of myself because (laughs) when I mean I'm 22 so I always tell people and aspiring entrepreneurs you have to go into things a little bit I hate the word stupid but I always say a little bit stupid because if you go in thinking like this is gonna be like you just have to be passionate about an idea with no almost expectations yeah but people do it vice versa but I I feel like you are the same as me that so when someone then rejects you you don't think of it as rejection because from the beginning you had no clue what to expect you didn't even know yeah and you're walking out of there with what you had when you went in so nobody took anything away from you you still have your great idea I worked for Joan Rivers for a long time writing 
comedy for Joan Rivers when she was alive. Um, yes. I after her. she hasn't, after she died, she hasn't needed that many no. jokes from me. Um, but when I was just talking about this on Twitter the other day, I was saying like, because people were talking about like, what's your biggest regret, like pitch wise that never went. And I, at the height of like the roast craze on Comedy Central... I said to her, it would be, this is, this is going to be like TMI in light of how she died, but this is the God's honest truth. I was like, the roast thing is so big right now. It would be so awesome to have a wake with you where people talked about you as if you, they were like at your wake and memorializing you. And she was like, oh my fucking God. Yes. Okay. What is it? And so we were like, you know, okay. So you go in to have plastic surgery, you die on the table like you flatline on the mm-hmm. table these comedians are all like mourning you they get up and talk to you they and tell jokes about you yeah. and like really it's it's so bizarre because they're like ripping this deadly but she oh, at the touch it happened she yeah love, yeah yeah okay. and then she was and then we were like and then at the end like they're able to like get your heartbeat back mm-hmm. and like you come to life and like do the closing remarks or whatever and she was like i fucking love this let's pitch it and we did pitch it around and people were like that's too much like that's you know and we were like no no i remember being in a car with her after somebody being like i don't think we can do this and her being like it's fucking funny I'm sorry like you know they're wrong and we're right but what can you do at that point you know <laughs> like, it never get picked up it never it never got made and but it was something that we talked about often like you know yeah. oh fuck you know yeah. and I think we felt the that especially like the older that she got yeah. because I, I worked with her for a number of years that the possibility of doing something like that got farther away of course and then, of course, like, considering how she died, it was, like, eerie yeah. in a way. But, yeah, I have, like, I've gone back and, like, looked at our old email exchanges yeah. about it, about, like, how we were, like, this would be so fucking sure. funny. People really are just stupid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's just, like, yeah, I mean, Busy and I have had so many... <laughs> So many meetings where like a guy executive will like we'll go in and pitch something, pitch our thing and and a guy executive will be like, I'm not sure women want to watch that. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, How would you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me talk to some women or let me, I don't know, give you the women, the phone numbers of a million women that say they do. You know, I don't know. It's it's so weird. And then you're like. I don't know. That is something in this business that is really tough. I feel like a lot of people lack courage and lack straightforwardness. A lot of people don't. (laughs) A lot of people are very blunt in a way that can be really jarring and hurtful um, at times. Um, So I'm not advocating for that. But a lot of people will like dance around what their real feelings about something are. And I would much rather just have someone say like, this isn't for us. This isn't for me. But thank you. And like, it's cool to talk to you. And like, hopefully our paths will cross. But like when people try to put qualifiers on something like, I'm not sure women would be interested in this, then I'm like, well, you just lost all my respect okay, because, yeah. like, you're not an authority on that. You're clearly talking out of your ass. And, like, that's just a weird thing to say. And then you just realize that some people are very enchanted with the sound of their own voice. And they'll just blah, blah, blah out anything that comes to the mind. And it doesn't mean anything. 
I was just about to kind of parlay into that, which is awesome that you brought that up <laughs> because at the panel, you both said that and there was someone in the audience who was like an older white man who said that he would would uh, be supportive of anything if you guys were pitching him in a room. And I love that <laughs> yes. because it's so true. You are feminist, powerful woman, and it's incredibly intimidating to sit in front of 10 men like I bet you frequently do and try yeah. and sell these kind of concepts, which are very different than like a Taken or... Uh, I don't know, any type of, like, crazy thriller. It's much more... Yeah, we're just talking about, like, a little homespun, you know, show where a woman's just being authentic and and talking to people who, you know, the thing that we always say about Busy is, like, someone's either her friend or about to be her mm-hmm. friend. Like, everyone feels friendly toward her, and that is a pleasure to watch. It's a pleasure to watch her have a conversation with someone because she gets something different out of someone that has a desk between them, and, you know, and she she gets... And, coming from the side of like having been a performer for so long she understands a great many of these people in a way that that a lot of interviewers and hosts might not and so that's interesting it's different no one else is doing that right now um so yeah so that's just what we're trying to do and yeah mostly i just feel like I don't know. So many people have gotten like four, five, six mediocre shows, mm-hmm. you know, and and like I'm not here to say so and so is mediocre or whatever. If people like it, that's fine. But like, you know, you can you can read the press about certain things. You can read what people say. You can read what people don't say about certain shows. You can read the ratings. You know, you can go and and check out the ratings and how the ratings of a particular show compared to what else is being offered on that network, whatever. You know, and ratings are increasingly arbitrary and inscrutable, but you can, you know, you can kind of get an idea of what's being considered a success versus what isn't really being given a chance to grow and to thrive. And so like, I'm, you know, I'm always saying, and particularly about film, um, that, you know, women should get the opportunity to make as many failures and bombs as men have gotten. You know, that's it. I'm not saying like we're trying to make the best thing. I think what we're making is the best thing for certain people. I think it's the best thing for me. That's what I'd want to watch. It might be the best thing for you. It might be the best thing for, you know, hundreds, hopefully millions of women. But like also, is it for every guy? No. Do we love the guys who like it and watch along and enjoy it? Yes. Love them. Is it for them? No. You know, but sometimes that is so offensive to people for whom everything in the world has been made over the years. You know, so like the male viewpoint, the male gaze is what everything has been geared to since the well, I don't even want to say since the beginning of television because that's not actually true. I think there was a time when women were really strongly represented on television and like Lucille Arnaz yeah. was a badass boss bitch, you know, back in the day. And I think we've actually like when you compare back then how many shows were on television and how much shit Lucy was running compared to how many women are running things 
in the great sea of content that is being made in television now, I think we've actually lost ground. And where we're doing, you know, obviously much better than we were in Lucy's day in terms of diversity and, you know, and who is making things, we still have a million miles to go where people will be able to see themselves represented on television. And I've loved all the shows that I've worked on. I truly have and have considered them all families, but a great many of them were not for me. You know, and I don't mean, ugh, it's not for me. I mean, it wasn't meant for me. I wasn't the person they were thinking of when they created it. And so, like, and isn't that what anybody wants is just to be thought of and to be seen and heard? That's all we're trying to do. It's not the biggest deal. And, you know, and the beauty of a show like that is that it's not expensive, sentiment and like real feelings and authenticity are free actually so everything else you know it's we're you know we're not trying to have explosions and fight scenes you know nothing like that like we're just trying to have this special little thing where people talk about their feelings and laugh about you know their faults and are able to like promote their tv show or whatever so you know so that's not a big deal that shouldn't be hard to say yes to during that panel, you said as well that it takes about two years, I think you said, for a show to... Yeah. when Well, when I was first, like, meeting with Tina, she was saying, like, she had been talking to Lauren Michaels about it. And, you know, he has experience with, with talk shows, late night talk shows particularly, and most recently, Seth Meyers. And she was saying, you know, Lauren says it takes two years for, like, a show to fully get up and running and to find its feet. And so, you know, and when we were doing Busy Tonight, that... One of the things that they did say to us so many thousands of times was, don't worry about it. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so, you know, but in the back of my mind, I had this feeling like, well, you know, other people might get two years, but we probably won't because women don't, you know, and 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 also, you know, because the show was on E, which is a smaller cable network. It's understandable, like the the network, you know, cable Late night is down across the board. Cable is getting more fractional all the time. All these streaming services are coming up. Like everybody's trying to figure out like how they can hold on. So I get it. I get it that like two years might be a luxury that only a huge network show can afford. But because not a lot of women get huge network shows, then okay, so you're down on cable and then you're, you know, your time starts ticking down a lot faster and you really have to like, you know, you have to make it work. Sure. And we just weren't able to make it. <laughs> but rightfully so, a lot of things in entertainment are out of your control. You yeah. put five, all of your effort and time and money and thought into something. And it's... Well, it, you know, what's wild is like in entertainment, you're trying to meet a goal that you're not really sure yeah. what the goal is. So, you know, if you're being told, like, don't worry about the ratings, but nobody says, but by the way, it can never drop below this. Yeah. And or like or it needs to stay above this for this many weeks or the average needs, then all you can do is like take them at their word and keep going, you know, and which you would do anyway, you know? And so, and so there came a point in time when we knew that the show was going to be ending and we, you know, we sort of had disagreements about the way that we were going to like, 
even let the staff know and like let the public know, um, which was weird, you know, um, because we had like built this thing on the foundation of like being honest with with people. Um, And so we felt like, oh, this is not something that we want to hide and pretend isn't happening. Like that's foundationally against the whole mission of what we're trying to do here. So we had to like reach an agreement on that. And, you know, the thing that like Busy and I kept saying to each other is like the how you finish something is as important as how you start it. So, you know, like we let's go, you know, like and it was great. And and I think that um I think that we've seen a lot of shows that were like ending prematurely. I remember when Conan was, you know, losing, losing his slot on NBC and how that last week of shows maybe were like the best late night shows I think I've ever seen because he was like a man with nothing to lose, you know, and that's really freeing. And so like once we knew the show was ending, then that turned to like us being like, okay, let's like give it the full gas and just do everything that we wanted to do before we like lose this platform. And also it sort of, you know, it sort of just opened us up to, okay, what are we doing next? And a lot of great things like happened in that time. Um, you know, when these restrictive abortion laws were being passed throughout the country, busy was like, I have a story to tell how am I going to do this? And like, is the network going to let us do this? And I was like, I don't think they're going to stop us at this point. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, that's something that you always think when you're making television, like are like executives going to be like, we shouldn't talk about this. But um, to ease credit, they just were like, yeah, go for it. I think that's a good network in the sense that they have like, if you have the Kardashians on who are just so, <laughs> I don't know, no comment, you know? It's yeah, very well, it's than, not like, for everyone, yeah. you know? Um, it's not for everyone. And, and so that's one of the great things about how there are so many choices now. But yeah, understandably. But like Busy was like, I want to talk about this. And, you know, um, but I also don't want to do more harm yeah. than I am doing good. And so I want to make sure that I say the right things. So we really sat, like she and I and a couple of the women that we worked with, and we really talked it through. And, you know, and we wanted to make it so that it was short and to the point and that we knew that she was going to get emotional talking about it because she is emotional. And so we wanted her to be able to get through it. Mm -hmm. And we wanted her to be able to say something that was resonant that people could repeat. And so we just lit on this phrase like, you know, one in four women have had abortions. You might be sitting at home thinking that you don't know anyone that would ever have an abortion. You know me. Yeah. And so that became a huge like, you know, me became like this huge hashtag. And she was invited to testify in Washington. And, you know, so and that got so much press pickup in a show that got more press pickup than any show I've ever like busy tonight overall got more press than any show that I think so. I just think it appealed to like the type of people that were writing these things and they were invested in it, which I think speaks to like the cultural success Mm -hmm. of the show. I think we were reaching the people we wanted to reach. It just wasn't being reflected in the ratings. Um, 
yet. And I think it would have built, you know, I think it would have built over time. And I think we would have figured out a way to more successfully push it out to people. But, you know, that's like um, television networks, even small ones have so many limbs working independently and they really have to, you know, it's like when you're drunk, like your left arm doesn't know what your right arm's doing and you need them to work together to like put your key in the door and turn it, you know? And so we didn't get to that place. The show itself, I felt like was a super, we really like hit our stride. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really did. And we, you know, we knew what we were doing. And again, I've worked on a lot of other startup shows and that one just got up and running so much more quickly. And I think it's because like in back in our lizard brains that you know in the front in the front of our brains we had what we were continually being told it's a marathon not a sprint but somewhere in that like back of your brain the part where you don't even know like your subconscious I'm sure we knew we're not going to get a marathon length out of this if we don't you know, do something. And so, uh, and if something, some condition doesn't change, whatever. So yeah. So I just think that we were like firing on all cylinders, but just there wasn't enough time to figure out, you know? Sure. I mean, I had like, I had a meeting really like, (laughs) so weird. I had a meeting, I think a few weeks before the show is canceled with like a high level executive who was like the show is too good to like not have people be watching it so let's figure out how to get more people watching it but then next thing I knew yeah yeah, so you know so it's just one of those things where like the person that said that to me I respect her so much and I like value her opinion so much so that's the kind of thing that like carries me through like well this woman that is like we all aspire to be like said that the show was too good to fuck it up you know and so yeah that's all that's what you have to like hang on to over the course of your career you've worked for so many incredible people who are incredibly it seems authentic yes I bet you've run into your fair share of inauthentic people (laughs) but it seems like most of the people who you've worked with and for and whatnot were authentic but why do you think nowadays that more people especially young people struggle with being authentic and there's a lot of studies out there that say it's because of social media yeah I think well you know social media is so image based you know so I think that a lot of young people are probably taking things in which you know social media is image based and it can also be very like surface level um and when people try to go beyond being surface level and to like reveal something about themselves that doesn't always turn out great because I think it like kind of if it's not wielded skillfully I think it kind of dehumanizes people like think of okay so you know we're in the middle of this like presidential primary whatever you could go on Twitter right now tweet something about which candidate you prefer and like if people take notice of it you know some people will be like yeah and retweet it and like I totally agree with this and some people will be like just talk to you like oh yeah I see what you're saying but also like here's why I have my doubts about this but some people will be like fuck you you know like just saying these really vile things and like when you're like would someone say that have you ever had someone like scream fuck you in your face like on the street I feel like it, when or I something, in New York, something like insane like that. And but, how did yeah. that? How did that make you feel <laughs> in that moment? Yeah, Crazy, startled, yeah. afraid, and like so. 
but it's it's no big thing. Like people on just do. Media. I see people that I really like doing it yeah. to people online, and I'm like, in what universe are you know? It's sure. sort of the same as like I had this really funny thing happen one time when I lived in Westport. Actually, is that I was like bringing my kid into into the preschool parking lot and um, I was going in the entrance of the preschool parking lot and someone was driving their car not out of the exit they were driving their car out of the entrance Mm -hmm. me trying to go into the entrance lawfully startled that person and that person was like honk 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 fuck you screamed fuck you flipped the bird to me and I was like oh my god but then as I was passing like we recognized each other. It was like one of the kids' grandmas, like a lady that I saw all yeah. the time, and she just lost her goddamn mind, yeah. you know? And I was like, I get it. But like, just the fact that we were in two cars dehumanized mm-hmm. me to her. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in two passing cars, and suddenly I was just like an opponent on the roads. But then when she saw me, and she kind of like laughed it off, like, you know, and I was kind of like, ah, this is the entrance, not the exit. Be careful, you know. Um, gonna die. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And but the, what a weird situation. Yeah. And so I think like social media in a way is like a lot of cars on a very busy, fast highway. Yeah. And people are just like, you know, cutting each other off and and treating each other in a way that Hopefully you wouldn't dream of treating anyone in real life. Um, But, you know, but you have certainly had that experience in real life and you know that you don't like it and you know that, you know, it's it's really weird. It's a weird thing. So I think like younger people probably have a hard time maybe because like, you know, your brain's not all the way grown yeah, of um, until you're like 25. Isn't that true? Yeah, it is true. <laughs> like your, your brain's not all the way filled out <laughs> until you're 25. And so a lot of these things are probably like forming, I don't want to say our character because, you know, Lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I mean, like, you know, we're just getting like weird ideas and like, you know, you hear all the time about like, well, young men are being like radicalized on Reddit or whatever. And like I can you don't want to get like paranoid of things like that because like everybody deserves, again, like some kind of community yeah. and some kind of companionship. And if you're finding it on Reddit, then that's great, you know, um, maybe. But also, like, if it's true that, like, this steady stream of messaging that sort of doesn't, you know, sort of changes the way you think about something in a way that is, like, harmful to you or harmful to other people, harmful to other groups of people, maybe, like, then that is a little scary. And I would say, like, oh, that's fear mongering. I don't believe it. But I got to be honest, I've seen like a version of it I feel like happened to adult men that I know that like I don't think are on Reddit I'm just talking on Twitter like I've seen adult men in particular and like also I've seen like an occasional woman have like some type of emotional social media meltdown an adult but like I've seen men become increasingly um, entrenched in certain views and you can like see their see their views evolving I think it happens a lot in comedy so that's something that a lot of my friends who are like women comedians and writers talk about like oh like it's getting rough out there and guys that like 
you know, I used to want to go on like a six hour road trip now. Like I want to run away from them when I bump into them or whatever. So that's weird. But it's also like kind of very believable, you know, where you're just like, oh, gosh, maybe like for every good thing about this, there may be some not great things that we should pay attention to. And like you also see, you know, you also see examples of like, okay, so young people are having a hard time being authentic. I see older people on Facebook constantly like sharing things that are obvious, like hoaxes or whatever. And so like, I don't know how that fits into like speaking about authenticity, but it's like, it kind of does, yeah. you know, because like people are using it as like a substitute for human interaction or I guess it is human interaction. But like like what is authentic about like an older person sharing like a hoax about how Facebook's going to like, you know, steal your information. Yeah. Take, yeah. Take your grandchild's God, identity. Or, yeah. You know, so like that kind of like it's not only not authentic, it's like weird that like Sure. You know, but it happens. And then you're just like, oh, Lord. I think the world has really shifted too, to a place now where people are so desperate for something. Yes. they And people have such lack of substantial conversations or purpose and passion. Yes. So everyone's so desperate for something. Yeah. I think, I think um, something that's really difficult about America is that we all, you know, obviously, like America is a country of immigrants. We all came from somewhere but somewhere along the line we all lost touch with our original cultures mm -hmm. and our traditions of you know like our 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 heritage um which that's you know everybody wanted to become american and become americanized but i think that when you do that for yourself um, and you really have no idea. Like people are so into taking these DNA tests mm -hmm. to figure out where the fuck their <laughs> ancestors yeah. are from. And, you know, and it's so weird. So people are like learning it in this like like they're reverse engineering their culture. And but what the point that I was trying to make is like I think we've all like become so Americanized, like being American is our culture. But when you lose sight of like the idea that you came from somewhere else, that your ancestors came from somewhere else, it's really easy to then turn around and be like, you don't belong here to someone else who is coming to this country the same exact way that your ancestors entered this country. Everybody who's here practically besides indigenous people came here from somewhere else. So it's really wild to me that we're trying to like, halt that yeah. you know and and so america on the whole doesn't have like a culture necessarily we have pop culture which i love pop culture but it doesn't You're speak right. to anything meaningful no. so i think a lot of people have religion they pay, they pay you know a great deal of attention to religion i think that people have their like groups that they identify in whether it's like their their gender, their sexuality, or, you know, um, whatever, your profession, a thing that you're interested in, a sport that you play, you know, and people really invest a lot of their feelings in those things. But it's really interesting. And I think that, like, I think that that's where we also get into trouble with, like, cultural appropriation. Because when you don't 
have your own culture and you don't realize like how meaningful that is to have a culture and what it means to your life, then it's easy to just think of it as something you can like borrow a cup of from someone without even really asking. And it doesn't work that way. And so I see black friends of mine all the time having conversations with people very generously trying to educate people on why cultural appropriation is so hurtful And I just don't I hope it's not falling on deaf ears because I just don't think that a lot of white people understand culture at all. Like they don't understand the significance of it. And so I just yeah, it's like it's like trying to talk to a rock sometimes, you know, crazy world. Yeah. Social media. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, I think that kids are like. I mean, listen, I love TikTok. I hope <laughs> I love that the young woman who invented the renegade is finally yeah. like got on Ellen, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like that's such a great example of like the Internet working for good and being like, wait a minute, sure. people are getting rich off this. This was invented by this girl yeah. and she's probably going to be a genius and like in business and we'll all be working for her. That's what I hope. That's what she deserves. Um, So I love stuff like that. And I love, I just watch videos of like these young people and they're so like naturally funny. And I think it's because like, you know, they have natural talent and nobody's told them this isn't interesting. This isn't whatever. Yeah. This isn't blah, blah, blah. That's where social media can be so positive is because you can really do anything you want with your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's like, well, that's why, like, the whole fact that there's, like, the phenomenon of YouTubers being celebrities, like, they did that on their own. And that has got to make entertainment executives shake in their boots because they did it without anyone. They achieved popularity and fame and also made tons of money without anyone saying, like, nobody's going to be interested in that. Nobody cares about that. Or, or like, you know, more this or you should smile or, you know, whatever. Like they just went with their gut and their gut proved to be right. And, you know, so that's got to make everybody in my business just like Freak. shake. Yeah. You've had such an incredible career. And oh, at thanks. this point, you're already at the top. But I don't see you ever slowing down. <laughs> so what is the end goal? I, I mean, like, where would you like to see yourself in 10 years? Oh, my gosh. Um, Where would I like to be in 10 years? Well, I just want to keep making things. I want to keep making things that make people feel good and make people feel seen and heard and understood. I want to make things with my friends who are really talented. And also, I want to get to a position where I'm able to, like, produce things for younger people and get them in the room Um so that they can sell their ideas or make their ideas however. I would love to be able to launch something where I'm giving a platform to people that I feel are deserving of a platform, I feel. (laughs) That's not a jerky. No, but to people that, like, people that I see that, like, I would love to be, I would be thrilled to introduce to more people, you know? So that's that's a huge deal to me. It's been, you know, one of my greatest joys is... I, as I was saying earlier, I worked on the show Best Week Ever. It's where I know Paul F. Tompkins from. I was a huge fan of Paul F. Tompkins from that show. But nothing gives me more joy to see 
John Mulaney, who was a little baby face boy and who I was like, cast him on Best Week Ever and did his interviews with him. And it makes me laugh so hard because the way that that show worked is like these comedians who are young and up and coming would come and they would come in and you'd sit with a camera and they would sit on camera. I'd sit off camera and I would ask them questions about things that were going on in pop culture that week. And they would answer the questions and then be like, say their funny jokes or whatever. I would suggest funny jokes for them to say. They would say them back, Um, you know, and then we'd like cut it all together. But John Mulaney was so young. I think it might have been his first on camera anything. And uh, and I don't think he'd mind me saying like it was a hard sell, like not everybody wanted him to be on that show. And I was like, if we can't put this guy on this show, then I guess I'm just going to leave because I don't know what we're doing here. He's super talented and he's super funny and he's going to be a huge star. And they were like, calm down, we'll put him on the show. But (laughs) he would come in for his little interview every week and he would begin by reading um, hate mail. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that like people from the week before had commented on some like television oh, nice. message board. Yeah. So he'd be like, oh, here's one. John Mulaney, you stupid squinty eyed bastard. You're ruining my favorite show. Get oh off of gosh. Best Week Ever. Jesus. That's <laughs> yeah. And so he'd be like, OK, there's just one. I just have to read one more and then we can get started. Yeah. And he'd just like be reading these like hate, yeah. hate emails. So it's so funny because every time I see him like have a massive success I'm like oh that's Gwenny yeah. Eyed Bastard's doing so great <laughs> but yes Nick Kroll yeah. was one of our panelists I'm so happy for him Melissa Rausch from the Big Bang Theory Jessica St. Clair who you can see on Avenue 5 but also um, was on Playing House um, Frangela were amazing and they're always appearing in movies and they're huge in the in the radio space in the political space um amanda seals who you see on insecure was one of our panelists mike Britt was on unbreakable kimmy schmidt all these people christian finnegan is just everywhere he's always doing stand-up comedy and just, yeah, all of these people, like, we're just babies, mm-hmm. you know, when we're doing this thing. Doug Benson is, like, the podcast, you know, marijuana king yeah. still. Um, yeah, just so all these people, it really gives me a lot of pleasure to, like, discover young talent and to develop young talent and to get them, you know, where they want to be to get them going in the direction that they want to be in. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to be able to say yes to some of these people because I feel like I've heard so many no's, you know, um, so many no's over the years. And and I get it. And but I like to really try to say yes yeah. and to try to figure out a way to say yes to things and because yes is just so much more fun than no. Which is incredible because most people in entertainment are always like no, no, no. So the fact that you're <laughs> like I want to give the yes. Anywho, you are been such a we're, this is like the longest episode I've uh, had in like seven weeks so you're amazing. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Of course, thank you. And where can everyone find you on social media? Give the plugs. Oh sure. Um, I know um, you have a show starting. Yeah, we're, hopefully that'll all, we'll let you know about all that but you can follow me on twitter at casey which is just my first name and i'm on instagram at instacase um 
not really on Facebook too much anymore, but my Facebook page is public. If you, you know, every once in a while I'll pop some, uh, I put a lot of job leads on there. So if you're okay. interested in working in television, that is you usually guys. where. <laughs> awesome. I love Facebook. Maybe I'm like mentally 90, but I feel like Facebook is the spot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. After Who knows? Who knows? I'm not here to besmirch Facebook. Facebook. You can make your own conclusions, but I will say that that is where I mostly put job leads. And I think it's just because because it's like easy to share and share around yeah. and yeah it's a practical form of social yeah media. no pictures needed but anywho Casey thank you so much so <laughs> thank much you for so being much here. so nice to talk to you uh, you too and I will put a link to that Facebook page in the description of this episode so Great. if there are any upcoming job postings for anyone who's listening uh, to check out there also make sure to keep following along and RSVP for the Be Fearless Summit which is April 1st and we just announced an event that's on March 31st so there's a few spots left that's kind of this VIP event. So if you go right to BeFearlessSummit.org, you can read all about that. And I will see you guys back next week for episode 111. Bye, guys.